Hello and welcome to Splash of Cinema. Uh, we have an exciting episode today. We have episode 17. We're going to be covering Christopher Nolan's filmography and I'll let Pete introduce the guest for today. Yeah, so this is a guest that we've had on the pod before. We love having him on. I'm sure he likes coming on. I hope he does. Uh, it's the one, the only Sam Rosevere. Uh, give him a follow on Letterboxd at Sam Rosevere. Sam, how you doing? I'm good, guys. Great to be back. Excited to uh, talk movies with you guys. And, um, you know, we live in a tra- twilight world. So excited to talk about it. Heck yeah. Uh, I, I know Nolan's some of our uh, John and I's favorite director. What about you, Sam? Is he up there for you? Yeah. And, and you know, he, I mean, I grew up right in the 2000s and we're talking about basically the signature filmmaker of the last 20 years, I think. Even if he hasn't made like the greatest American movies, he's made some of the greatest American blockbusters of the last 20 25 years right so obviously like I kind of caught it at the right time you know elementary middle school and just seeing these big you know mind-bending movies that this guy's making you know just really captured my imaginations and also you you get the sense when you watch a Christopher Nolan movie that it's getting at something a little more than you know Godzilla versus Kong right so um like in terms of occupying a space in the industry, he's certainly one of the most interesting guys to think about. And, um, you know, we can make comparisons later, but he's really kind of taking the torch from like a Stanley Kubrick in terms of making whatever he wants at an extremely high budget. We're talking about like the most expensive movies ever made. Right. And, um, making them mostly successful. So, yeah, I'm excited to dig into him here. Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, point you make there, Sam. He's he's definitely the best, like, blockbuster director I can think of of the 2000s. He has, like, all the classic, iconic films people talk about, especially people our age, when you think about Interstellar, Inception, the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, I was recently reading for the plane shot in Tenet, when the plane goes through the building, he... It was so expensive, he just decided to use an actual plane. So he bought an old plane and just exploded it into a building. I don't know how many other directors out there have the leeway to be able to do that budget-wise. But that just kind of speaks to the effects and, uh, I don't know, the scenes that he wants to shoot for his films. There's really no limit. So because he's able to pretty much do whatever he wants, he's created these visual masterpieces that also play with reality. And that's what gives him such a unique style that's really makes him the only director of his kind in the 21st century. And it is very Kubrick-esque in that way. I mean, you think about 2001 A Space Odyssey and some of the stuff that Kubrick got to do throughout his career. I think Nolan is going to continue to make these types of films and the sky's the limit. We've already seen some of the best films of all time come from Nolan. Yeah, and... The Oscar, we just real quick, you mentioned the tenant plane scene, the Oscars, right, were pretty recently. And we were kind of talking about this earlier, but just the, I'm so happy that it won for spe- best special effects, right? Like, if you crash an actual plane 
into a Freeport or giant building for your movie, like just automatically give Chris Nolan the Oscar. Like the, you asked who else can do that. Nobody else has ever been able to actually do that. Right. So just wanted to add that in there. That's like the craziest thing I saw in movies last year. So. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think we're going to get into the movies though. Uh, obviously Nolan is known for this big budget stuff, but he actually started it uh, back in 1998 with a film that's on the verge of being a short. Uh, it comes in under an hour, 30 minutes and it's entitled following. Uh, and the plot reads a young writer who follows strangers for materials meets a thief who takes him under his wing, obviously written and directed by Christopher Nolan. And it stars these unknown British actors, Jeremy Theobald, Alex Haw, and Lucy Russell. And unfortunately it's not available to stream. Uh, obviously this is Nolan's first take at feature film. Uh, and it, it's different for him. Uh, it's in black and white as well. So you can see that there wasn't much of a budget affiliated with it. And it kind of looks like something uh, someone make for their senior thesis in film school or something. Uh, I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on following. Yeah, I mean, following, I think, is a great kind of first feature. It's kind of the type of first feature that, you know, indie film heads could be like, oh, this guy, you know, this is actually his, his masterpiece and you don't even know it, right? Like, I don't actually think that's the case, right? Like, I think it's fine. It's it's entertaining and you can certainly see a lot of Nolan's like interests here. Um, and you can see a lot of his strengths and you can see a lot of his flaws, right? It's kind of convoluted, right? Um, and he feels the need to over-explain everything and the female character that's involved in this like doesn't really have a lot of agency, right? Um, so... I think you kind of get to know him here and I hadn't watched this in a really long time. And I remember the first time I watched it, uh, I was pretty bored by it, but this time I was, I thought it was pretty clever. And I, I actually thought, you know, it was kind of nasty, right? Like it was pretty, had a kind of depraved kind of view of these people, right? Which is rare for Nolan. You know, usually there's no cursing, there's no sex. Um, there's very little violence. And I think we have a little bit of all of that here. So kind of an interesting movie. And it's also really interesting to see how his interests changed um, once he was able to start working on bigger scales. So, yeah. Yeah, this is definitely Christopher Nolan finding his footing. It's it's a clear example. When you watch his filmography, you can tell that it's his first film. I thought it was unique that it was shot in black and white. Um, I'd have to look a little bit more into why it was shot that way but I think it it kind of just adds to the effect of what felt like the most empty plot of a Nolan film for me I realize that a lot of stuff goes on but I can see how I mean when people talk about Nolan when they criticize his films they say that it's either confusing or he doesn't portray women in the best light um, and of all of his films I would say this was the most confusing and didn't portray the women in the best light. And that's because of the over-explanation. I don't think there needed to be that much explanation. I think he realized later on as he continued to make films that a lot of the mystery should be left up to the audience to determine what they think happened or or what it means. Um, I think the, the style that it was shot in, though, is certainly unique, and that's what 
makes it not a bad movie, but rather a, a decent movie, in my opinion. Um, he shot it in kind of like a a memento sense when you can't see everything happening in chronological order. He plays with time a little bit, and I think he took that that part of the movie and continued it throughout his career. Um, but it, it's it's definitely a certainly interesting concept that he explored. I mean, the the idea of following people and and what makes up a human life. What what do people value and which possessions they value um, and why I, I thought that that was an interesting concept for him to take on. And, and ultimately it's a pretty interesting uh, expose into human lives and, and human values. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to add on to what you guys were saying, you know, at times uh, it was ambiguous and then I was like, Oh, this is great. But then he would explain it. And I think that's the downfall of the movie. Not that it's a bad movie at all, uh, but Again, he he confuses you. That's Nolan's thing. And he started off with this. And I also want to add that it's very British, this movie. Uh, the accents are super thick and they make references. So in that sense, I was kind of kind of lost. But in the in the end, I was satisfied. You know, I wasn't expecting that much knowing it was his first film. Uh, but I mean, it, it's on has a Criterion Collection uh, cover. So, you know. People out there love this film, and I think it's a solid start uh, for one of the most renowned filmmakers of the 21st century, for sure. So that was 1998's Following by Nolan, and now we're going to move on his next film, which is what I consider his first really iconic film and, and a big important piece of his filmography. It's 2000's Memento, and the plot reads, a man with short-term memory loss attempts to track down his wife's murderer written and directed by Nolan, and actually it's based on a short story by his brother, Jonathan Nolan. Stars Guy Pierce, Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Pantoliano, and it's available available on Tubi TV and Roku. I think Memento's his first movie in which he really gets to play with a concept, and that concept is time. Uh, it, it's basically set around a guy that has short-term memory loss and tends to forget what happened except in 15 minute installments. Um, so you learn throughout the film not to trust anyone, but more realistically, not to trust even our main character. It's a really unique film in which it's set from someone's point of view that you can't even trust. So you never n really know what's going on. And it kind of plays off as a psychological thriller, as well as a murder mystery. Um, and it just kind of evolves and develops the whole thing is confusing. It's definitely one of those films you have to read about afterwards, but I think it's a classic Nolan film and, it, and it's really what set his career off. Um, and for good reason, because it, it's extremely well done. Yeah, this is a big like announcement for him. This is when, when Memento came out, I think this is the one where everyone was like, okay, watch out for this guy. Right. Um, and I think this is a sick movie. I really do. Um, this is a story that's like essentially told backwards, which we hardly ever see. Um, and so satisfyingly done, right? Um, there's some of his movies where he always wants to shift around in time. And there's some times where I'm like, why are you doing this? It just doesn't really seem necessary um, from a structural standpoint. But here, this is absolutely essential to this movie that it's set up the way it is right um 
as the viewer, you feel like you've forgotten something and you're trying to remember what it was and kind of put the pieces of the puzzle back together. And when, you know, when the credits hit, it might, you might not feel satisfied, but I think, you know, a couple hours after, as you keep figuring it out, when the pieces come together, it's, it's like an awesome, you know, experience. It's very satisfying. So I also think it's like its funniest movie, at least until Tenet. It's like purposefully funny. I think the scene where he's like, okay, I'm chasing this guy. Oh no, he's chasing me. Like that, I cracked up when I was rewatching that and he said that. So, um, and Guy Pierce is just great in this movie, very stylish. The cuts to color and black and white, really smart and with a lot of intention. Um, so this just feels like essential and like he's kind of at the peak of his powers without having a massive budget here. So yeah, Pete, any thoughts? Yeah, I think the story really carries it. Uh, it's just so unique. No one at this time had really done anything this sort of ambitious, I'd say. Uh, I think he, he, like you said, he plays around with time a lot. And yeah, there is a there is a sense of swag to it. Uh, that I think uh, later on in his films, you'll see with the protagonist. And yeah, uh, you know, you don't really know how to feel about the main character too, because you know, someone killed his wife. So that that's going for it. But then obviously as the film unravels, you start to see his decisions and what he has done in the past. And then that affects your perception on him. So Nolan plays with the audience as well too, which I love uh, with Memento and, yeah, just characters getting introduced and introduced. Don't know if you could trust them or not. It makes for a great film. And this is one of my favorites from Nolan. And being one of his first, just super impressive. This is also pretty cool for Nolan because I think it's the first film in which he really uses symbolism a lot, um, especially the Polaroids and the tattoos that are on Guy Pierce's body. Um, both serve kind of as clues to, to the mystery and reminders to constantly remind him what he's working towards and maybe what he's found already. Um, and, and, and symbols are really important in Nolan's work. I mean, there's the iconic symbol at the top in Inception and um, in Tenet, he uses the red and blue features to distinguish coming in to the pincer movement from different points in time. Um, but I think that this, this film really kickstarted that because you see the, especially the tattoos and the Polaroids are referenced so many times throughout the film. Those are his ways of collecting and remembering evidence. And just as with Guy Pierce, the audience also can only base their thoughts on those things. Those are the only points of evidence that you can really go off of. Repetition is really important in Memento. Um, he repeats the same story over and over to remind himself and other people of what his condition is. He repeats the same assuredness throughout on certain certain people like what is their role in the plot what what are they doing maybe who killed his wife um but all these reminders in the end and and this repetition serves to kind of be pointless because you realize he's creating a loop that might lead to false evidence and uh that's really unique concept Yeah. And the, you know, the idea that the end is the beginning, right? He's, this is, when did this come out? Someone said it, but 2000. Yeah. 2000. This is 2000 and Tenet came out last year. And 
we're already thinking about these ideas if you're Chris Nolan. Like he clearly has these images of the first shots, a, a gun flies backward into Guy Pierce's hand. Like that is just tenant, right? Um, and, you know, I think like, like you mentioned the symbol, just the image of Guy Pierce beyond the significance of it, the image of Guy Pierce all tattooed up. That's just awesome. Like he, he just looks cool. Um, and I also think like, it, it, it's it's a cool point in his career because he's still working with restrictions, right? And I think, like I said, this is where we know that this guy really has it is when he doesn't have, he can't do whatever he wants, but he's relying on this frankly awesome idea for a screenplay and his own, you know, editing and direction. Um, and, you know, later on when we when we get into some of the bigger, more expensive movies, I kind of respect them more um, because of their raw ambition and like the fact that someone could even make this a little less than like, I think this is really smart in terms of its structure. Not that they're not smart, but this one is really like rock solid. I can't poke a hole in it as opposed to when we shift later on. And we can talk about that when we get there, but just a really cool point in his career. Um, So yeah, I love Memento. Yeah, so that was 2000's Memento. Again, it's available on Tubi TV and Roku. Uh, this is our second plug for Tubi TV on the pod. Uh, not sure if you use it, but if you do, Memento's on there. Probably the best thing on there. Uh, so we're going to move on to 2002 when Christopher Nolan released Insomnia. And the plot reads, two Los Angeles homicide detectives are dispatched to a northern town where the sun doesn't set to investigate the methodical murder of a local teen. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, the screenplay is by Hilary Seitz and Nikolai Frobenius, and it stars Al Pacino, Robin Williams, and Hilary Swank. And unfortunately, Insomnia is not available to stream, but if you would like it, like to watch it, uh, please contact us. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts on Insomnia. This is different from Nolan. Uh, he doesn't really play with time, and especially coming off of Memento, I just want to hear your thoughts about this film because, in my opinion, it kind of underachieved. So, yeah, I, I think this is Nolan's most normal film in the sense that it's not su- – it doesn't really play with any concepts. It's it's just a pretty normal murder mystery uh, detective thriller. It kind of reminded me of 90s detective thrillers, um, like maybe some of the Alex Cross ones with Morgan Freeman or even like a seven serial killer type drama. Um, and you're basically essentially following this detective as he gets to know the killer and tries to figure out what he should do about the situation. Um, really interesting trio, Robin Williams, Al Pacino, and Hilary Swank. But they play off each other very well. Overall, it's a pretty well-rounded, pretty solid film from Nolan. Um, he makes clear that he can he can make a good crime thriller without any types of weird concepts. Um, although the one thing I noticed that was pretty Nolan-esque in the film was the lack of sleep that Al Pacino gets affects his thoughts and actions. Um, so he does play a little bit with insomnia and that's why the title is insomnia. Um, and in that sense, it was Nolan-esque and I could tell that it was Nolan after about an hour into the movie. But other than that, yeah, it's it's clear that it's still the beginning of his career. He's trying to figure out what his directorial style is going to be, but he directs three iconic actors in 
in solid roles and he plays them off each other really well to create a pretty intriguing and suspenseful film. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I, I think Insomnia is just kind of okay. Um, I didn't get the chance to rewatch it recently. Um, so it's not as fresh in my mind, but it's not even the fact that there's nothing like Nolan-esque or weird about this movie um, or like crazy concepts. It's just, it just kind of feels like he didn't really, there's nothing to push him here, right? Like this kind of feels like, uh, it kind of feels like the little things from earlier this year, just this kind of cookie cutter crime drama, right? And uh, I think Robin Williams is good. Um, you know, Robin Williams wanted to play the Joker in The Dark Knight, which is something I learned earlier this year and like really liked working with Christopher Nolan, kind of wish we would have gotten more of those two guys together. I'm glad he wasn't the Joker, obviously. I just, I don't see it in Ledger's great, but that would have been, that would have been a different movie. Um, and Pacino, God bless him, one of the, you know, Mount Rushmore actors. He's just really at that stage in his career. Where it's really pitched up and it's hard to take him seriously. Um, I do remember that from the movie is just kind of, wow, this guy, he's kind of lost it. So he's given um, up. Are you saying he gave up by this point? <laughs> I don't know. if I mean, he's going all out. It's just like, you don't have to yell every line of dialogue. You know what I mean? So, I mean, if you saw him in the Irishman, you know, he still has it right. The dude, he, he was amazing in that, but, and you know, we basically, I think, it starts with heat. I think heat, he's like 50% pitched up, but it kind of works. It's just kind of, it's, but it's still kind of funny. Um, I just don't think he's very good in this movie, but you know, insomnia is fine. It's entertaining. It's just, you know, I think it becomes worse in our eyes because we expect something more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think placing it in the context of his filmography and what, I mean, we're going to cover the prestige after this, but the followed by the prestige and then memento before, I mean, that's, that's a hard sandwich there to put some serious meat in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a solid story. I'll say, uh, I think making Robin Williams, the villain was kind of, kind of weird. I, I, it did work, I will say, but you know, he's just one of the most liked actors of all time. Uh, and yeah, like you were saying with Pacino, uh, he kind of just hobbles around screen I love the scenes where he's just running with a gun and you can clearly tell it isn't him. I think that's, that's so funny. It adds some humor to a, to a pretty dark film when it comes down to it uh, set in this Alaskan town, which I looked up and the town night mute where it's based would not have a police department. It's like two streets. Uh, so maybe they should have made up an, another name for the town, but uh, I think that was, that was sort of embellished in the film, so to say. Uh, but yeah, just not much substance to it. I will say it's, it's a tight story though. Uh, it's all the aspects are there, but uh, putting it in context of Nolan's filmography, I think it kind of misses, especially for the time. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely interesting to look at it in the context of Nolan's filmography. And I think that's how we should look at it because you can excuse following for maybe being different than the rest of Nolan films because it's his first and he's finding his footing, but it's, it's very interesting that insomnia is sandwiched between memento and then Batman begins and quickly after the prestige it's it, I don't know. It, it feel like Nolan was maybe spending too much time working on the 
the early stages of the Batman trilogy and Prestige. And he kind of viewed this as an afterthought. I mean, I'm sure he put his heart and soul into this, but it doesn't feel that way. I, I don't know if Nolan's the type of guy that wants to take on a project like this. Um, and then and then as far as the dark element of the film goes, Nolan does this repeatedly throughout his filmography. He likes to play with with our our uh, expectations of humanity and Robin Williams character is an interesting insight into that because he he argues as to maybe why he did the things he did and, and how it's excusable. Um, same thing as in following the, the characters that you would traditionally view as bad argue that it's just their personalities and they are simply trying to learn more about the people that they're uh, robbing. In this case, Robin Williams is somewhat excusable as a murder and the cop that's supposed to be the good guy is shown to be a very dynamic character in his own right he's not necessarily a good guy um and in that way i think it's also nolan-esque because throughout his filmography as he goes on even with the joker he likes to play with you know the traditional view of morality of good and bad and and skews the lines a little bit and and that's what insomnia does Anything else to say, Sam? All right. So that was 2002's Insomnia. And uh, so Nolan released Batman Begins in 2005, but we're going to cover those after our next film, uh, just because they are in a trilogy. Uh, So the next film we're going to cover is 2006's The Prestige. And the plot reads, after a tragic accident, two stage magicians engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. The screenplay is by Christopher Nolan and his brother Jonathan Nolan. And it stars Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, and Scarlett Johansson. And it is available on Amazon Prime. I uh, just want to get your guys' initial thoughts on Prestige. I'm sure we'll be talking about this one for a while today, uh, just because it is such a dynamic film. Yeah, I love The Prestige. Um, it's one of my favorites. Um, definitely, as I was going through and rewatching stuff from him this was the one that jumped the most for me um which is interesting i think it's probably a little more adult than some of his other films like i don't know not that his dark knight trilogy is not adult but it's you know kids want to watch a batman movie too i don't know that like this is i I certainly feel like this is not a kid's movie because i feel like when i watched it when i was younger this it didn't really entertain me as much as it did but this time around I thought it was completely gripping. Um, and you mentioned the casting and in insomnia. I think this movie is like really perfectly cast. Like Hugh Jackman is such a ham and he's kind of perfect for this magician role. Um, and Bale's just like awesome. I think this is like, it might be my favorite Bale performance. Um, you just, I, I don't know. He, he, he's so mysterious and, doesn't overplay it in 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 a way that I feel like he does in a lot of other movies um and I think the prestige is like it says a lot about Nolan too right like this is what he wants to do to audiences he wants to trick them and he wants to make something disappear and bring it back right um he's he I think he sees himself as a magician and my favorite image is during one of the tricks um I believe it's Hugh Jackman kind of like 
disappears. There's like a hidden door in the floor, falls through. The audience goes nuts. And you see him under the stage, unseen by the audience, taking a bow. And I think that's just kind of how Nolan sees himself, right? Like, he, he he's the guy under the stage that no one sees on camera, but is getting all the applause, right? So I think this is just really well made, similar to Memento, doesn't do a whole lot of like structural, you know, stuff that's going to like confuse you, is airtight in terms of its plot. And for Nolan, I think it's like one of his most atmospheric movies. I really loved the cinematography. I loved the, you know, kind of hazy um, British vibe here. And also Bowie's just electric in this movie um, as Tesla. So there's just a lot to love here. I could talk about this movie for a while. um, And I thought immensely satisfying, like awesome Nolan twists in this thing. Um, You know, I feel like when you go to a Nolan movie, you kind of expect to have your mind blown. and, And I thought Insomnia fell short there. And this one certainly does not. It's definitely one of my favorites. Kind of just like makes you go, how did I not see that before? Right. So, yeah, love this movie. Yeah, I love the little uh, electric Tesla bit. That's 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 a classic right there. I'll, I'll save that one, Sam. Um, I, but I completely agree. I think that this film is really his first mind-bending type film in which he uses special effects really well, um, especially on the magic tricks. The visual effects were awesome, and he also plays with sound very well in this movie. Um, this was This is... Nolan's last film before Tenet in which Hans Zimmer didn't do the score. Um, But the score was really well done. And of course it's based on Jackman and Bale, right? Those are the guys that are going to carry the performance. They're the guys that are going to make or break the movie. And they both fulfill their roles perfectly. I think that um, they kind of portray that rivalry and the jealousy aspect of, of magicians in which we don't really think about as normal people, but they, they are trying to outdo each other. I mean, whoever has the big trick gets the audience, right? Um, and, and it plays on that kind of rivalry as the movie goes on. So you also have you also have that skewing of morality because both magicians do terrible things to each other and, and undercut each other and each other's uh, normal lives just to get ahead in, in business. Um, so so it's yeah it's just a classic nolan film um cool that it's based around magic something that a lot of us don't really think but it it does explain some of the tricks and some of them doesn't really explain very much and that's what leaves the intrigue i had to also read up against this one after i i watched it because i was confused so thank you nolan for confusing me once again in a good way yeah this was one that i had put off for a little why i have no idea uh maybe just because it it's not heralded as like his best in popular circles uh i think that goes like interstellar and as we mentioned the dark knight trilogy uh but super satisfying watch i have to say uh like you said sam super airtight plot and i love the constant duel that jackman and bale have uh you know i wish Hugh jackman would do more stuff like this but you know, he's working his way into Broadway and stuff. This was like the early 2000s Hugh Jackman bender for directors. They loved him. Uh, but yeah, Christian Bale as well. I love how there's an underdog story attached to that. 
there's great character development, I have to say, throughout uh, Tragedy Strikes, and then you see them rising up. Uh, it gives them a sense of resiliency, and you're kind of rooting for both characters, in a sense, uh, throughout the whole film, which I really like. It's it's hard to take sides. Uh, and yeah, David Bowie. David Bowie is Nikola Tesla. That's great. Uh, get to right uh i wish he did a little more acting and stuff and i'm really surprised nolan got him to get this uh but yeah and also uh the alternate history associated with this film as well is super interesting and kind of working science into magic and teetering that line a little uh is super cool and you know i wish there were more films about magic uh, because it is sort of this hazy subject that as non-magicians we're super curious about and i think the prestige kind of reveals some trivial stuff while leaving the big stuff ambiguous, uh, which I like sort of the magician's code type thing. Yeah, I think I agree about kind of exploring this world of magic, not like fantasy magic, but like actual performative magic. I had no idea how like ruthless that industry was. Right. Um, and John, you, you mentioned being confused in a good way and that's the kicker, right? That's what separates Nolan's really good movies from the ones that I'm like, it's impressive, but I don't really see it. Right. Um, like it's satisfying at, you know, there's, there's a scene at the end where he's kind of explaining it all and, um, it's satisfying, but even if you're confused, you know, you've been prestiged, right? Like, you know, he just tricked you. Um, and just on that level, you just have to admire it. I mean, um, and I also think this is great because it, contains some of nolan's flaws i think some of his flaws as a filmmaker there's not one but i think we have two dead wives in this movie that's you know he always kills wives i i I don't know why he does it and his wife is like the producer on all of these movies which is very interesting but we don't need to get into that um and i think he does kind of over um over explain things um in some cases or kind of not let he, he, he tells instead of showing sometimes, which, which happens. But when you do it in this way where it's airtight and it's gripping and really atmospheric, I, it just works. It, it, it kind of overcomes that way in which some of his worst movies don't, in my opinion. So, yeah. Apt, apt analysis there, Sam. Um, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but his, his use of women, I can see how you could look back at this movie and use it as evidence to show that Nolan doesn't portray women well in his films. I mean, every single film we've talked about so far and the ones that we're going to continue to talk about, it's like a single guy that somehow maybe lost his wife or just doesn't have one. Um, and yeah, Nolan has a wife and a pretty normal life there. So I think that's interesting. But there's also the element of women kind of tempting the main characters and and pitting them against each other this can be shown with the uh, magician's assistant in this film um but that that's interesting it's something to think about uh as there are many things to think about with the prestige i was i was probably tricked more than the members of the audience in the movie were tricked um and that's because he leads you into senses of assuredness on certain things and then completely takes that away so what do you have to base yourself on um and and that's what was great about the prestige as with his other films yeah and i 
just when we're talking about the women, um, and we didn't mention Scarlett Johansson. I think she's fine in this movie. Like she's she's not her best performance, but she she does the she does the job. Um, it, it's it's not even about that he's treating the women poorly per se. It's it's about that even in the Prestige, besides Scarlett, the women are either dead or they kind of occupy this empty space, right? Um, or they only exist for a character to have, for, for a male character to have something to like long for, or, or I don't know, to teach a male character a lesson instead of having a little more agency in their own right. So that's kind of the, it's not as bad as like actually treating the women poorly. It's just more like he doesn't really know how to write it. I haven't seen a great female character from him yet. So maybe, maybe there's one or two, maybe I'm thinking in interstellar, maybe Catwoman and dark Knight rises. She was pretty good, but overall there's just, there's something missing there for me. And I think a lot of people feel that way, but I'm, I don't know. But when you're watching the movie, you don't really think about it, right? It's only in the discourse that this happens where people are like, Oh, Chris Nolan doesn't care about women. I don't believe that. I just feel like the guy has a very cisgender male point of view and that's, that's all it is. Um, so yeah, just to touch on that and then we don't have to touch it again. I mean, yeah, he writes what he knows and I don't think anyone should blame him for that. He's a great director. And when you watch the movie, you think good movie, bad movie. And with Nolan, you just think good movies. So, so that's all there is. Um, I will bring in the next movie. And now we're going to talk about what I consider the greatest superhero trilogy of all time, um, the Batman trilogy. And I think it's pretty generally agreed that it is. Um, it's it's Nolan taking on superhero films, which is often a make or break point for a lot of directors. And it leans toward the break. Um, but unlike other superhero films, these films haven't been classified as simply for the masses or as simply big budget going to raise a bunch of revenue in the theaters, but not really be critically acclaimed type movies. These are critically acclaimed superhero movies. They, they provide a lot of suspense and, and elements that other superhero movies don't. So uh, we'll start with Batman Begins, which was actually released before The Prestige in 2005. And it's the story of, of Batman who trains with his mentor and begins his fight to free crime-ridden Gotham City from corruption. Um, Actually, it's not written by Nolan. It's it's written by Bob Kane and David S. Goyer, but but Nolan directed it, of course. And he he uses Bale as the lead in this in this role. Um, pretty iconic character. Christian Bale's Batman. Uh, Michael Kane plays the butler, and Ken Watanabe is also in the film. Uh, yeah, Batman begins. Awesome origin story, rock solid. It uses effects and and Nolan really takes on the big budget thing very well in this movie. Um, and of course it sets up the dark Knight, which is considered by many to be the greatest superhero film of all time. In a lot of ways, Batman begins is, is Nolan's proof to the world that it, it's his first, it's the first inkling that Nolan really is the guy in Hollywood. Um, yeah. Batman begins. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, I, like you were saying, it's a great origin story. 
and we got Liam Neeson's in there. Uh, always great to see him on screen as a villain. Uh, and yeah, I like how it takes place uh, not in this big city. Uh, it, it, most of the film takes place in China, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Ch- yeah, China. Uh, and th- I like how uh, Nolan did that because oftentimes, you know, Batman, he's he's causing these big scenes and stuff. But it takes Batman and it focuses more on his character and how he got to where he is today uh, on a mo- more micro level, which I appreciated. Uh, and yeah, just I will say, though, uh, once after I saw this, it, it, I realized how dark this trilogy was going to be and how dark the whole look of it was. And I think that's important because Batman as a character is someone who isn't in the spotlight. He's his identity's hidden. Uh, he usually does all of his uh, saving at night and all of his hero work at night. So it's important to have this vigilante be shot in a way that is mysterious. And, you know, you're questioning things about him, which I really liked. Uh, and I love the chemistry between Bale and Michael Caine as well. Uh they do it in the next two films and they've done it for years and years on. And it's just great that Nolan established that relationship with Batman begins. And yeah, just one of the best openings to a trilogy I've seen in quite some time. Yeah. I really, really like Batman begins. I, I think it kind of, I, I hope people don't overlook it. Although I feel like many do simply because it comes before the dark Knight. And it's not like it doesn't have that ledger performance that's just crazy. And it's also not like The Dark Knight Rises, which I think is pretty flawed, but it's it's big, like a lot bigger than Batman Begins and has that Bane character that's just kind of wild. Um, this movie doesn't really have that kind of big presence. It's, but but I, I think it's like really, really good, right? Like, and it really impresses me that this trilogy um, it's clear that Nolan wasn't thinking in terms of like, this is going to be my trilogy and I'm going to make three films. It's not like Marvel where we're kind of always looking forward to the next thing. I think he's was really like, I'm going to make one great movie here. Um, And I know there is that little Joker card reveal at the end here. Um, But I was watching some behind the scenes footage and Nolan was really like, I just want to get this, image of Batman out of my head on the screen. And if I make more, I make more, but I'm going to make the best one right now. And I wish like more MCU and like Zack Snyder and people like that. I wish they thought that way a little more. Um, Because then if people don't like your thing, we don't have to watch three more of them. But Batman Begins is awesome. Um, Liam Neeson's great. I love the way Gotham City looks. I think Gotham City really changes throughout um, the three films. Um, and here it's kind of, it, it's much more comic booky than it is in, in, um, the dark Knight and the dark Knight rises. Um, it's, I forget, I think it's called the narrows, the little neighborhood, um, that most of the action happens in the bad part of Gotham city. Um, the way the fog hangs over it, um, just kind of seedy, uh, area there looks very cool. And I think Bale is awesome in this movie. I think this is probably my favorite Batman performance from him. Um, and like Pete said, always great to see Liam Neeson. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with your point there, Sam. I think 
what Nolan did, which is different than a lot of superhero type movie directors, is that he focuses on each movie and tries to make each movie perfect instead of just like spending too much time on the end credit scene or the plot reveal that sets up the next movie. Um, and, and when you look at it in the context of Batman, too, Batman has a long and storied history in the film industry. I mean, a lot of great actors and a lot of iconic you know, directors and, and screenwriters and such have taken on different parts of the Batman universe. Um, but this is the first, I'd say, film in which the origin story of Batman's fully explored. I mean, he, he uses a full movie on it. It's not it's not the first 10 minutes of a Marvel movie in which you're like, oh, well, now they're super. OK, now they have to fight to save the world. No, he spends the whole movie developing Batman as a character. And in that way, I think he did have a broad sense of the trilogy as a whole. Um, because, of course, it, it did. he had plans to do the next two Batman movies. But he wanted to set up his character well. And, that, and that's what differs from other, you know, superhero movies. He, yeah, he didn't introduce the, the big Joker or he didn't have Batman trying to save the world. He really just had Batman finding himself and becoming the man that is the dark knight. Um, and then that's important. I also like that he used, he uses like different cities for Gotham city. I think that that's cool. But, but by the end of the trilogy, you can kind of see that um, it all seems like one city. It, it's weird. I don't know how he does it, but I think he used London for a lot of this one. Um, and definitely the cinematography and, and kind of the atmosphere of Gotham city is explored on like, like more than other Batman films. He kind of focuses on Batman as a character and then he develops a few important side characters, but he also showcases Gotham city as, as the city. It's, it's Batman's world, of course. So you have to create an, a, an important and memorable world. And he does that. Um, and then I also just want to give a quick shout out to Cillian Murphy, who plays the scarecrow. It's really his big, it's, it's his big role. Um, in, in film and he's the star of Peaky Blinders which I've recently started watching so I've come to respect him a lot more as an actor um, but he's he's a big Nolan contributor as well he's also an inception and and Nolan uses him for the first time in a, in a pretty powerful way I mean I remember the scarecrow as a villain um, pretty defining villain but yeah he also begins to play with the morality of characters once again uh, pretty common theme in Nolan films. I mean, is anyone truly good or bad? You never know. Um, and, and he does that with this film as well. Yeah, so that was 2005's Batman Begins, and he followed it up with probably the most popular film we're going to cover today, 2008's The Dark Knight. And the plot reads, when the menace known as the Joker wreaks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham, Batman must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight injustice. Obviously directed by Christopher Nolan, screenplay is by him and his brother once again, and it stars Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, and Aaron Eckhart. And The Dark Knight is available on Netflix and HBO Max, as well as Batman Begins. It's available on Netflix and HBO Max. Uh, obviously just a milestone in superhero filmmaking, uh, DC establishing themselves before the Marvel craze. Uh, so I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Obviously one of the most popular movies of all time, IMDb top five movie of all time, 
one of the biggest movies we're ever going to cover on this pod. Uh, I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Yeah, and when I rewatched this a little bit ago, um, in my letterbox review, I basically just said, it's like catching lightning in the bottle, right? You just got, it's kind of the perfect recipe. Nolan is at the height of his powers, has proved himself with Batman Begins. And if Batman Begins is a character study, then the Dark Knight is like heat, a crime drama, right? Like, um, every time I watch that, I'm like, I cannot believe how much time we're spending, like, with the cops, you know? Like, there's so much stuff with with the cops, and I can't remember how much time Batman's on screen here, but it's not the majority of the movie, right? It's really Ledger and the people surrounding him that are forcing him to, you know, he almost, like, hangs up the cape and cowl, like, multiple times in this movie, right? Like, the dude almost quits being Batman because of what's going on, so... Um, the focus shifts away from Batman himself and becomes more about the world and, and Gotham and the Joker, obviously. And I just think Heath Ledger, it's just one of the greatest performances ever given on film. It's, it's without that performance, the movie just isn't as good. Um, and I doubt it would be, I'm sure it would be iconic, but I think it would probably hold more of a place like um, like maybe Spider-Man 2, right? Like it's acknowledged as like one of the three or four most important superhero movies ever made, but it probably isn't cracking like the IMDb top 10 movies ever made. Like, and um, it's just like, I'm going to say it again, it's electric, right? Like every time he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off of him. Um, and no matter how many times I watch it, I don't know how many times you guys have done this, but I went through a phase like when, when I first saw these movies where I was just like on YouTube, only Heath Ledger, Dark Knight clips. Like that's just the, the, the most interesting parts of the, this movie to me. Um, do I think it's a top 10 movie ever made? No, I think it's an amazing, an amazing blockbuster. Um, I think there are some big plot holes. Um, you know, why did Commissioner Gordon have to fake his own death? I don't, I don't understand. He just comes up and he's like, I had to protect my family, um, which I don't know. It's, that's just a weird plot point. Um, I think that it's probably a little too long. Um, I, I don't know, but I'm not going to rag on the Dark Knight. Like the Dark Knight is pretty um, bulletproof. Um and I, I'll just say, like, the Heat comparisons, Heat he has that great scene where um, they're kind of shooting on, in the middle of the road, um, and it's just kind of this epic big fight um, after a heist. And the scene in The Dark Knight that gives me that feeling is the chase scene, um, kind of the, the underground tunnel chase scene between the Joker and the big truck and uh, Harvey Dent's and the SWAT car and all that stuff. And it's that, I mean, that's just like the best action scene um, of the 2000s, I think. It's so good. And the, the, like the bazooka he brings out and you're like, oh my God. And uh, the whole time, like the guy who's driving the car is like really funny. Um, like we were not prepared for this. Like that stuff's great. Uh, and then obviously the, the truck flip. Like, that's just an awesome image. One of those iconic, like, Nolan shots that's just etched into my brain. So, 
yeah, not much to say about the Dark Knight that hasn't already been said by everyone else in the world, but um, it's a great movie nonetheless. Yeah, I can I can go on about this movie for for hours. There's there's so much to it. Um, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I, I would disagree with you, Sam. I don't think it's too long because when I look at whether or not a movie is too long, I, I just think about the shots as a whole, and I don't think there was a wasted shot in this movie. Um, because even the stuff that might not be integral to the plot is just really cool from a special effects standpoint or a cinematography standpoint. Um, but he manages the sheer ambition of this film is he manages to do so much with the time on screen. I mean, he, he further develops Batman as a character. Batman's not done developing after the first movie. This, this, um, highlights Batman's love life and, and how he deals with the police and how he deals with villains and his view of the world i mean you really question who is batman in this movie um i mean even the title is he a good guy or is he a bad guy is is his purpose in the world actually doing good or is it creating even worse villains like the joker um and then the joker as a character i think it's a really iconic scene when he has the warehouse full of money and he just burns it he's like money's money's no use to me i just want to create chaos um and and you know, it touches on that morality. Are humans good or bad? There's the scene on the boats when each boat has to decide whether or not to blow up the other one. And one's full of convicts and one's full of regular people. And I think that's a pretty, I mean, that's Nolan's like in your face, are people good or bad moment? Because they're the debate between those two boats. The convicts, of course, are the ones that are portrayed to maybe not be so bad. Well, the normal people are like portrayed to be evil in some context. Um, and the, the debate in that scene is kind of the debate that's going on in our heads. And I wonder what I would do if, it, if I was in that situation. The Joker repeatedly throughout the movie asserts that humans are innately bad. And when presented with, when presented with, you know, a fear of death, they'll choose to exert harm on other people. And then you have the character of Harvey Dent, right? Who's, who's the savior. He has great intentions. But once something poor goes his way he becomes an, a terrible character. I mean, so much. So many characters are developed in this movie. There's so many deeper themes. Um, and it's just a superhero movie, and it teaches you a lot about life and humanity. Um, I'm a big fan of philosophical films, and, and I think this is as philosophical as Nolan gets. Uh, hidden under all the big-budget action scenes and and all the iconic shots. I mean, fantastic. Yeah, maybe from uh, Dunkirk uh, and this, I think Nolan gives his best visual effects, uh, like you were saying, with the with the truck and everything. And even the opening scene, this is one of my favorite opening scenes of a movie ever, uh, with the bank robbery and William Fitchner coming out with a, with a shotgun. I love that. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to echo everything you said, uh, just across the board, this is my favorite superhero movie of all time. Uh, character development is there. Action is there. And even the score, I think, is underappreciated in this film. Uh, I think, was this Hans Zimmer? Yeah, this was Hans Zimmer. Uh, so obviously he's going to do great things. And yeah, I, I can't really add to anything that we've said just because we've said so much already. Uh, but obviously one of the best villain performances of all time, Heath Ledger. 
and yet like uh batman begins super dark as well uh obviously we're working up to the batman uh directed by christopher uh, matt reeves coming up in 2021 and that looks even darker than this uh which is super intriguing to me and i think that's maybe why i like it so much uh just because it is so dark and i you brought up aaron eckhart as two-face i think that's one of my a super underappreciated performance from this film. Uh, just the development of him as a character, uh, super well done. That's another actor who I think in everything he does is very solid. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about the dark Knight. Uh, pretty unanimous around the board. Uh, what we like about it. Yeah. And, and I, I just, you kind of mentioned like the darker, this this whole trilogy kind of being a darker take on Batman, or at least in a more serious take. Um, I, and I agree, this is definitely my favorite superhero movie of all time. Um, though I will also shout out Batman Returns, the Tim Burton movie. I think that's a really cool movie. Um, but I, this is definitely my favorite, I think. Um, but in terms of what space it's occupying in like the public consciousness it kind of births this movement of, okay, superhero movies are serious. This is like a huge year too, because we get Iron Man in the same year, if I recall. Um, so now we've got this kind of superhero movies are serious business and they have to be dark and they have to be gritty, um, which I think has spawned some great ideas. The Matt Reeves Batman looks terrific. Um, it also has spawned some like really bad movies. like the the whole dceu as kind of which you know man of steel christopher nolan executive produced that movie i cannot stand that movie that movie makes me really really like not like movies anymore um but you know it, but i think people kind of took that the wrong way because nolan's not saying hey i'm not making a dark batman i'm not making a gritty batman he's just making his batman right like this is just the kind of movie that nolan has in his head um so I think the kind of uh, there's a letterbox review. I forget who wrote it, but it's one of the more popular ones The the it echoes the line. You either die here or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I think kind of the dark Knight over the last five or six years has kind of become the villain and spawning some of these bad DCEU movies. Um, and even some of the like MCU stuff that tries to get a little darker it's I don't like that stuff. I like when the MCU is fun and funny, you know? So, um, yeah, but I love the dark Knight. I, I just think another shot that I love from this is the Joker kind of sticking his head out of the window, um, after he breaks out. Um, but yeah, another, it's a movie I feel like I have, me, uh, memorized and I, I feel like you guys probably feel that way too. So, um, it's, it's a masterpiece for sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're, we've been talking about this for like 20 minutes, but um, I just had a few more things to say. First of all, um, I wanted to reference the shot. It's kind of a meme now, but but it's that scene in which Harvey Dent and Rachel are sitting in the restaurant and Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne comes up to them. And, and Harvey Dent's like, well, should well, no, Christian Bale's like, should we move these these tables? And Harvey Dent's like, well, I don't know if they'd let us do that. And then he's like, well, it shouldn't matter. I, I own the place. And then he simply like moves his hand. Um, that's just a lot of people consider that the biggest cinematic flex in history. Nolan owns the place in a sense. And 
we're trying to see if the tables can get moved and Nolan already knows if we're moving them or not. Um, and then the other thing that I always think about this movie, I just didn't talk about it before, was praising Heath Ledger. Um, and that inspired kind of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. It, it made the Joker one of the most interesting characters in history and it, it brought the Joker to the forefront of the Batman uh, trilogy. I mean, when people think about the Dark Knight, honestly, a lot of the time they think about the Joker before they think of Batman uh, because the role was so iconic and well done. And then the last thing, I, I just find it interesting that Nolan chose to write this one uh, and he didn't write the script on Batman Begins. And I think that that might have given it the edge over Batman Begins because I, I always enjoy when a director gets to like fully uh, put out their vision. That's what I liked about uh, last year's Nomadland. I mean, Chloe Zhao edited, produced, and directed the movie. I mean, the more say that one person gets in fulfilling their vision, the more that you can really see that vision come to fruition. Um, and Nolan, like this is all Nolan. If if you're gonna if you're gonna blame any part of this movie, you blame Nolan. If you're gonna credit any, you you credit Nolan. Um, and and I just like to be. I'm I'm a pretty single minded guy, so I just like to think whether or not uh, a, an aspect of the film was inspired by Nolan. Well, this is all Nolan, and I think that this is his. It's kind of an opus in a sense. So, unless anyone else has anything to say, that was 2008's The Dark Knight. Sam? Yeah, I just want to ask, are we Team Heath or are we Team Joaquin here? I'm Team Heath, firmly. I, I think yeah. Joaquin's good, but Heath is just, it, it's next level. Yeah, I, I know John is a big uh, Matt Phillips Joker stand Todd Phillips. There. Uh, Todd Phillips, sorry. Todd Phillips. Uh but yeah, I'm gonna go with Heath Ledger as well. I think he paved the way for villain performances uh, since 2008. But I'm also going with get... Heath. Okay, like you can't, you can't shit on me here. Um, and to be honest, I think Joaquin would even go with Heath if you asked him. Um, he he said it in his Oscar speech. He he thanked Heath Ledger for all he did for the role. Um, it's it's hard to compare them though. They're completely different. It's one character, but. But it's, it's just insane how different they are. I think the one cool thing that's similar to both roles is that both actors really wanted to, like, kind of character act. And they both went into, like, fits of depression after playing this role. Um, I find that interesting. It's, it's hard to, uh, yeah, it's hard to give the Joker any sort of good tag because he's, he's pretty bad in, in every sense of the word. He, he's all about chaos. All right, so that was 2008's The Dark Knight, and we're going to move on to the last installment in the Dark Knight trilogy, 2012's The Dark Knight Rises. So the plot reads, eight years after the Joker's reign of anarchy, Batman, with the help of the enigmatic Catwoman, is forced from his exile to save Gotham City from the brutal guerrilla terrorist Bane, uh, obviously directed by Christopher Nolan, written by him and his brother again. And it stars Christian Bale, Tom Hardy playing the villain this time, and Anne Hathaway. And it is available on HBO Max. Uh, hard to follow up The Dark Knight, obviously. But uh, I think he, he put a good close to the trilogy with this one, I will say. Obviously, there are some points I, I don't really like. Uh, 
but Tom Hardy gives a great uh, villain performance as Bane, uh, quite memorable in that sense, really sparked his career in popular circles, I'd say. Uh, so I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on The Dark Knight Rises, filmed in Pittsburgh, PA, also important to note. Yeah, all the bridges. I feel like if you're a Pennsylvania person, as soon as you see this movie, you're like, that's Pittsburgh, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I give this movie a lot of credit. I think this is our first uh, Superman series, trilogy, whatever, to actually stick the landing, right? Um I love the Raimi Spider-Man films. The third one is a disaster. Any defenders of that are, I, I don't know what to say to you. Um, the Tim Burton Batman films are great, but then the series continues and the Schumacher films are awful. Um, like Batman Returns and Batman Forever. Those movies are so bad. Um, and then I think until the MCU, the MCU does it, sticks it, has a lot more to do, um, but kind of in a different way. Um, so I give this movie a lot of credit. I think this is a good movie. I don't this is I don't think this is a great movie. I I I am honestly more impressed by it than I like it. Um just A the ability to pull it off and B this is one of those Nolan films where the size and scale of everything is just kind of blows me away. The opening sequence with Bane and the plane falling out. I'll never forget seeing that in the theater. Um and there's a couple other just like giant set pieces he builds um, where your jaw just kind of drops. You can't help it. Um, but I think like, it's interesting Bane, when this movie first came out, I watched this in the theater and I was like, I can't understand a word this guy's saying. I don't really get why we're putting a mask on Tom Hardy. I was not, I'm not like a Batman scholar, so I didn't really know who Bane was. Right. Um, and I was kind of like, pissed off that like batman basically gets the crap beat out of him like by bane like i i was like this is batman like i don't want to see that right especially not in the last movie um but bane is like when i watch it now bane's like some of the best stuff here like tom hardy's awesome and even if you're like oh he's kind of hamming it up i don't get the voice like i don't get the voice either but it's damn entertaining um so yeah always love Tom Hardy, even though he's a weird dude. And uh, I also think Anne Hathaway is Catwoman. She's solid. Um, pretty badass character. Uh, Bale's fine. His Batman's story arc is kind of my, he loses me a little here. I think, I think it's satisfying, but like, he just like kind of spends half the movie, like healing his back. And it's just kind of like, I kind of want to see Batman be Batman a little more, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, I like this movie. I don't love it, um, but I, I'll, I'll never forget watching it for the first time and just kind of taking it all in and feeling like we finally got one. We got a good superhero trilogy. So, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on some of your points there. I think that this is the buck does stop a little bit here with Batman's character development, um, and that's one of the limitations of this movie. And then this, the scene that stands out to me always is the scene at Heinz Field um, with the kick return and like the earthquake type situation. That's that's really cool. Um, the special effects, yeah, kind of were taken to another level in this film. And um, and Nolan played to that strength really well. Um, yeah, but it's definitely the worst of the, the trilogy, hands down. 
he also loves using his British actors, so it's a good thing he brought Tom Hardy in on this one. Um, and, and Tom Hardy provides an iconic role. So I don't really have any more thoughts on Batman. Yeah, uh, I'd just say a good wrap-up uh, to a trilogy. And, you know, I love the scene where uh, Christian Bale's sitting down with Anne Hathaway, and then you just see Michael Caine with his British look just smiling over at him. That's great. Uh, gives uh, gives the trilogy a good closing. Uh, so we're going to move on to 2010's Inception. Uh, and the plot reads, A thief who steals corporate secrets through the use of dream-sharing technology is given the inverse take task of planning an idea into the mind of a CEO, uh, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. And this movie is jam-packed with stars uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Killian Murphy, Tom Hardy even. Uh, so you see these actors that he's working with and he continues to work with. Uh, and Inception is currently available on Prime Video. Uh, this movie's this movie's crazy. I think this really took Nolan to a new level uh, in what he can do with time and confusion, for that matter. And there's also a great character development uh, with the character of Dom Cobb as well. Uh, so I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on Inception. Uh, coming out 11 years ago and seeing what they did with this film is truly remarkable as well. Yeah, I think this is probably the movie I've seen most in my life. I think a year, I, I did not see it in theaters. I saw it after it came out on DVD and just watched it constantly. Like I would watch it like once a week. I'm not kidding. Um, and even, even more than that, it's just, it's one of those Nolan movies, kind of like the Dark Knight Rises and the Dark Knight, but the size and scope of everything is awesome. And we're dealing with these kind of mind bending, you know, confusing, let's just be honest, but mind bending, uh, exciting themes um, and structural choices. And um, I think, I, I think it's great. Um, I think it's flawed. Um, it's flawed, but definitely a five-star movie because when he's able to create this giant world um, off of an original idea outside of Gotham City, right? And kind of still, still, you know, be able to get everyone to the theater and not just get everyone to the theater, but like get people coming back and like make a rewatchable movie with iconic moments. You talked about the top earlier. There's like 10 other things that like I could, the, the buildings folding on themselves is iconic, right? Like, um, the maze drawing is iconic. And, you know, I think some people don't like this movie because they say it don't make, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense all the time to me. I've tried to figure it out. Um, I think I had it figured out like when I was younger watching this movie and now I just don't watch it anymore. Um, but with Nolan, it's like not about figuring it out to me. It's about look at what this guy can do. Um, and I'm thankful that this movie was made because like I said, it's an original idea. It's not IP and it made a ton of money. Right. Um, so yeah, love this movie. Yeah. I think it's kind of crap when 
people diss Nolan films because it doesn't necessarily make all the most logical sense or they can't figure it out. I mean, if you're trying to, it's kind of like Nolan's point of view on life. Everything is not figured out. And if you're trying to figure things out definitively, then that limits any possibility of anything extra. You know what I mean? Like he goes further with interstellar on this concept that there may be more out there to life and there's kind of infinite possibilities. And of course, yeah, logistically you can't incept people and like go in their dreams and stuff, but that's not the point. The point is the concept that he creates, which is an original unique concept and what he does with that. Um, And he uses symbolism and special effects and all those things to emphasize that once again, in, in Inception, it's it's what has made it so iconic. I mean, Leo does a great job. Uh, Elliot Page, that I would say, provides a really fantastic supporting role. He uses, once again, a couple good British actors. And um, the one shot that comes to mind is the, the kind of mirror shot with the big buildings in which you look back through. And there's it's clear that someone's filming that, but you can't see the camera or who's filming it. I don't know how they remove that apart from that scene but but it's really unique and it's just one example of the amazing shots that Nolan can create yeah uh I want to just apologize for what I said earlier I referenced Elliot Page as his former name I apologize for that uh but uh like you guys were saying with uh this film I I kind of view this as a heist film in a sense uh you have you have Dom Cobb kind of getting all these figures up uh, who are big in this dream theft world, uh, sort of this underground criminal organization, which I think is super interesting as well. I've never really dealt with this. Uh, And, you know, they pull off this crazy heist and I think that's what it comes down to. And there is some character development there and some cool special effects as well. Uh, But it is really tight in the way he uh, approaches it and how the story is told which I appreciated too. And it didn't get too deep or anything like that. Uh, obviously uh, in a sense it does, but uh, not to the degree, which I thought it was for Nolan upon viewing this. Uh, but yeah, you have great performances by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Killian Murphy plays corporate super well uh, as an American. He does it really, really well as a British actor. I was super surprised by that. Uh, Tom Hardy as well. You even have a Tom Berenger shout out in this film where he steals his face. I, I, I love that scene. Uh, but yeah, just, I think this will go down as one of Nolan's best, uh, just for the fact that it was super ambitious in the topic matter uh, for the film. Yeah, it's definitely one of Nolan's best. And another one that, um, I might've mentioned this slightly earlier, but in terms of overcoming its flaws, it's one of the best. Like we have another dead wife here, but, here she's like used in a pretty interesting way and Marion Cotillard I think is like dynamite in this movie she's really like you feel her presence she always scares me in this movie um and you know so so it kind of overcomes that and there's a lot of exposition basically the first half of this movie is exposition before they start the big heist right um but in this case, I think it's kind of essential. You have to set up the rules of the world. You have to let people know, hey, if we do this, then we do this. If we're in the falling car for this long, we have this long. 
this is what limbo is. All that stuff is like, so that when we get to the actual heist and all the crazy visual stuff um, and kind of crazy mind bending stuff happens, we're not like, what's happening here? Like for the most part, it's immensely satisfying to actually see that stuff play out. Um, so yeah, I mean, this movie is kind of inherently flawed, but it's because of its own ambition. Um, so in my eyes, it overcomes that. And I, I will add, you know, the rotating hallway. That's just like a classic Nolan. Like this guy just like made Joseph Gordon-Levin like run around the ceiling and the floor. I don't even know how to describe it, but if you watch it behind the scenes video, they just built a giant hallway and spun it around. Like (laughs) any other director in the world would just do that through CGI. Nolan's just one of one in that way. Um, And we're lucky that we have studios that will give them the money to do that. So Inception's a masterpiece, in my opinion. Yeah, so that's uh, 2010's Inception, what's often considered by Nolan in Nolan's filmography, besides, of course, The Dark Knight as his most iconic film. Um, and just a great film all around. If you haven't seen it, you're living under a rock. So the next film he worked on was actually four years later. It, it's, his, it's the largest gap in his filmography since actually ever and um and it, and i think that's because of how ambitious this film is um it's nolan's take on space the film is interstellar and uh the plot reads a team of explorers travel through a wormhole in space in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival written and directed by nolan as well as his brother jonathan nolan and it stars matthew mcconaughey he brings back anne hathaway and jessica chastain and um this is Nolan playing with another really cool concept. I mean, at this point in his filmography, he's played with magic. He's played with uh, time. He's played with morality. He's played with dreams. Of course, he's got to do a space run, right? Every great director does. Um, I think Interstellar actually is a little bit of an ode to Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Nolan will even say that in interviews. Um, actually, at my school last year, we had a guest lecturer come and talk about and he's one of the you know preeminent uh experts on on space and then the rules of physics in space he talked about how nolan consulted him for the film interstellar and he played a large role in um you know creating some of the concept the cool mind-bending concepts that nolan uses here um of course they're not all accurate but the fact that nolan puts so much research into his films and wants to at least create somewhat of a logical template for the concepts he does uh, show. I think that that speaks to his, um, his work as a director and his efforts to make every film a masterpiece. It's clear that he focuses his heart and soul on all these films. Um, And Interstellar, of course, like all the rest of his films has flaws to it, but you can't just chalk it up as confusing because it's a truly ambitious project. And I love all the different planets and and the space effects. And he, he shows that the world outside of earth is very different and there are different rules to it. Um, And he uses that to, to, to show the effect it has on relationships between people still on earth and people in space Um, and how they deal with isolation and, and not being able to see loved ones for 70 years. And, 
and dying on a faraway planet uh, away from their home. Uh, it's all about possibility and, and exploration and and it explores the relationship between a father and daughter, uh, a loving relationship. Um, he does use, he uses women well in this film, I'd say. Uh, Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain are both pretty important characters. Um, and, and Matthew McConaughey plays off them really well. Uh, Interstellar's ambitious. It's one of my favorite Nolan, Nolan, Nolan films, personally. Um, I think it does a lot with, with a little. Um, in a sense, he, it's, it's all from, you know, Nolan's own imagination and originality. And of course it's big budget, but once again, he executes perfectly and delivers a stunning blockbuster. Yeah. I, I think with interstellar, I think the intrigue of space is really captured. Uh, you go from these various planets, uh, especially when you visit Matt Damon's character on that one planet, it's like, Whoa, like this, this is super cool. It opens up possibilities for us as viewers to be like, Oh, maybe this stuff is out there. And uh, I love the technology that's used in this, the two robots walking around on the planets. I think that's super cool. Uh, and yeah, like, like his past stuff, uh, working family into these ambitious projects. I think he does it probably at its best uh, with Interstellar. And I think that has to do with Matthew McConaughey's performance. I think he does a great job in this film showing raw emotion uh, because, you know, the film deals with him aging at different points than his loved ones. And, you know, that's important if you think about it as a viewer and you're like, whoa, and you you really feel for this character. Uh, So Interstellar at its core, I think is super ambitious. And I, I think he executed it well. Uh, obviously it's a long run time and I think that is the downfall uh, of it in with some people uh, but you know it is a space odyssey in a sense you kind of have to drag it out for a little and make it interesting and stuff I, I just want to note though the, the ending where he goes into the black hole and he's in that cube uh, just how unrealistic that was for me just kind of turned me off a little I know I know we're not speaking about this as scientists and such but and you mentioned the consultant uh, that he used, but, you know, it's Nolan. It's he's doing crazy stuff. And, you know, he had to tie it in somehow. So I guess that's his way of doing it. And even Matthew Connelly getting pulled out of that, you know, hate on me. John's flicking me off right now. I understand where you're coming from. But just as a realist, as I am, I have to fault the movie in that respect. But nonetheless, Interstellar is a great film. I probably won't like it as much as you guys uh, when we rank these later in the episode, but we'll see. I just want to hear your thoughts on it, Sam. Yeah, unfortunately, John's probably going to be mad at me too. I I think I'm going to align more with Pete here. I've kind of had a uh, a long journey with Interstellar. I saw Interstellar twice in theaters um, when I was a young teenager and uh, just kind of like the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, that was, I saw a lot of cool stuff, but like love is the one thing that transcends time and space. Like that's just kind of corny, bro. Like I kind of just thought at the time, like I thought it was corny. I'm not going to lie. And now when I watch it, that's actually the stuff that works the best for me is it is the most heartfelt Nolan movie. Um, and the relationship between Cooper and um, his daughter, Murph, um, 
is like some of the most some of the best parts of the movie for me um now we can talk about we're not going to talk about it but timothy chalamet's character is pretty much ignored in this movie he pretty much only cares about his daughter which is unfortunate i I don't i don't really understand why nolan even had him in the movie um but i think now when i watch this it's like i definitely admire it more than i like it and i do really like it i do think it's really impressive and um it's really moving at points and uh the 2001 uh aesthetic shout outs are really cool um I, I think as it's like half the most impressive space movie I've ever seen and half like kind of silly um, M. Night Shyamalan like space bookshelf movie. Like I can't, I can't, I just can't get that out of my head. Um, and it's not even that I like just, just the line at the end. And if you haven't seen Interstellar, I'm going to spoil part of it here. So skip ahead. But just the fact that Matthew McConaughey repeats the line, like, don't you get it? Like, we brought ourselves. We brought ourselves. That's just like, I'm just like, the fact that McConaughey, and I think he's great in this movie, but I can just picture Matthew McConaughey, like, saying that line in a Lincoln commercial, right? Like, he's he's just kind of, it's just kind of classic McConaughey there. Um, And he's otherwise great in this movie. I agree. I think the female characters are used really well. Um, So... I think my problems with it are more with the space stuff um, and pr- honestly pretty much only the like we brought ourselves into the wormhole that that ending that it still hasn't connected with me. But at the same time, you'd be an absolute robot if you weren't almost moved to tears by the scene with McConaughey reacting to the videos of his daughter. That That is just his performance there is really affecting. And I wish there was, like, that was like a hundred percent of the movie and less Shyamalan-y. Like, let's let's if we're gonna do this black hole stuff, let's do it and really dig into the. I'm not seeing my family. Like, like instead of just having a couple scenes and then we got to go on a mission, right? And I get it. Um, he's got his hand in two different movies here, in my opinion, and it kind of hurts the movie. But at the same time, like no one else is making movies like this. So I'll just say it again. It's it's incredible the stuff he's able to pull off. Um, and I, I just think, you know, the three of us are having very different reactions to this movie. Um, it's definitely grown on me. I think it's one of those where it either clicks for you right away or it just doesn't quite click for you. Right. Um, and, and for me, it doesn't quite get there, but I certainly think it's good. Um, so, yeah definitely Nolan's most heartfelt movie and probably his most visually like in terms of effects, like special effects, awesome imagery here. So interesting movie. Could We could do a whole podcast just on interstellar takes because I'd love to unpack it more and I'm, I'm still working out how I feel about it, but this has been interesting to talk about it with you guys. Yeah. You know, um, I'm I'm no guy to tell anyone else that their opinions on movies are, are wrong or, or invalid. I'm not going to say that. Um, but you, we could have a pretty heated debate about this. Maybe it's just because I love it too much. Um, this is this is perfecto. I mean, Nolan spent the most time of any movie, of any of his projects, working on this one. Um, 
he spent four years on this movie. So I think it's important to recognize that. And I, I think when you look at it, of course, the black hole thing doesn't make much sense, but neither does a lot of concepts from his movie. I mean, we just talked about that with Interstellar so or with Inception. So I look at it in the same way. Um, it's it's about possibility. Like, yeah, to, to human understanding, it doesn't make sense. But who's to say that it, it couldn't happen or he's literally having a guy go into a black hole. I think that's awesome. Who else has even tried that? And you can use it. I mean, you can compare it to 2001 A Space Odyssey because that got the same types of knacks afterwards. I mean, they're like, oh, this doesn't make sense. This isn't realistic. It was Kubrick showing that there was more out there to the world. Um, and this is a philosophical piece in a sense. I think the love thing is, of course, a little cliche and a little overplayed. But he could have used any number of concept concepts to connect you know, the world out in space to the world on Earth. Um, humans aren't necessarily, when you look in the context of the universe, significant in any sense, but this portrays the fact that maybe humans are significant. Um, and maybe we have the potential to one day play with space and time. Uh, and I think that's what it does really well. It, he catches Matthew McConaughey right after his acclaimed performance in Dallas Buyers Club. I think that that's. I don't know how he snagged him, but it was perfect. Um, and Matthew McConaughey gets to portray brand new emotions, as does many of the characters in Nolan films. I mean, they're in situations that humans would never be in in other senses. So their emotions are new in those contexts. You know what I mean? Um, so all we can really gauge from those situations is how would I react? And that's probably how I'd react the same as McConaughey. I think he did that really well. Um, and then on top of that, the score for this movie is the best Nolan score I've ever heard. Um, it's, of course, from Hans Zimmer, but and, it, and it's cool because the score is often the most important part of a space movie. How they move through space and, and the big shots of space, I think the score can either make or break those. Um, and it it's Hans Zimmer. He definitely makes it. Um, overall, yeah, fantastic Nolan movie. I'm sure it's going to be ranked way higher for me than you guys. I could get way more heated about it, but I'm just going to embrace the the whole love thing and Interstellar and I'll, I'll respect you guys. Um, I'm glad you both appreciate it because I appreciate it just as much. Um, but that's all you can do is appreciate it. You can't, it's hard to rationalize. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't say I don't like this movie. Right. And the people on Letterboxd or Twitter or whatever that say this movie's dumb and A, either doesn't make any sense, that's not true, or is like me when I was younger, this is just corny, what is all this love stuff? I don't, I think it's actually really heartfelt and endearing in a good way, right? Um, and I just want to say, I might be wrong about this movie, right? Like, the last time I watched it, I had a completely different reaction than I did the first time I watched it. So, and Interstellar Hive is out there, man. Like, there are a lot of people who feel the way John john does especially on letterboxd i mean there are a lot of really highly respected like film critics or people that write about movies that are like this is nolan's masterpiece and not only is it a masterpiece but it's like one of the best movies of the last decade um so i just want to say don't i don't want you to feel like you're getting gamed up on by us a i i do like this movie and um there's like a ton of people that like this movie i feel like especially on letterboxd and I think it has risen like 
in the general public's uh, perspective since it came out. I feel like when it came out, people weren't really sure what to think about it. And now it's like, it's really one of his like three or four signature movies, I feel like. So, yeah, I support you, John. Thanks, man. That's all I'm here for is your support. Um, yeah, I, I think this conversation's given me a little bit of a different perspective on it. I'll have to rewatch it. I think we all need to take a good rewatch at it. Um, and and this is evidence of Nolan not letting anything limit him, whether it's concepts that have never been explored before or the budget of the movie or time. Um, it's hard to ever call any of Nolan's films too long. I know Pete called it a little long. Um, and we might have said the same thing. Someone said it about uh, Dark Knight. But it, it's no, Nolan's not going to let time limit him. I mean, it's, it's a Nolan movie, so you're going to watch his vision. And, and time is just a constraint as his budget or anything else. And he doesn't live by constraints. I love that. So once again, I would argue that every shot in Interstellar is important in some sense. Um, I'm never going to critique a Nolan film for being too long or too short for that matter. Yeah, so that was 2014's Interstellar, and he followed it up in 2017 with a war film entitled Dunkirk. And the plot reads, Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Commonwealth and Empire, and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. Uh, Written and directed by Christopher Nolan, and it stars Finn Whitehead, Barry Keegan, and Mark Rylance, as well as Tom Hardy. Uh, and it's currently available on HBO Max. So we've talked about Nolan taking on space, time, all these different avenues, superhero movies. This is his take on a war film. Uh, from visual effects, practical effects, this is the biggest scale he's worked on. Uh, huge explosions throughout. Not a lot of dialogue, though, I will say, which a lot of people criticize the film for. Which, But I just want to hear your guys' takes on it. Uh, so what do you think about... 2017's Dunkirk. Yeah, Dunkirk. Um, I really, really love this movie. I, it's in my upper tier for Nolan, for sure. Um, and in my opinion, one of the best movies of the last decade. Uh, it might be in the top 10. Um, I. It, it was one of the best theater-going experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, seeing this movie, I, I think I saw it on opening weekend. Um, or shortly after, and it's got my favorite. I love the opening shot of The Dark Knight, but it's got my favorite opening shot in Nolan's filmography um, with the propaganda pamphlets falling from the sky um, and the soldiers kind of creeping through. And it's just like, as soon as the first frame hits, it, you're just locked in. And it's just one of the ha most harrowing um, experiences I've ever had watching a movie. Um, I don't care if there's a lot of dialogue or not. I mean, I, I just think that this is, this is the movie that it had to be. Um, and a lot of people make a big deal about like the one day, one week, um, one hour uh, structure um, that Nolan uses here. And this is kind of a case where I'm like, he didn't really need to do that. Or, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, is that really necessary? And now I watch it and I'm like, it kind of is because you know, if, if you just tell the story linearly, 
Tom Hardy doesn't show up until like the last five minutes, kind of, right? Like, and there's a couple other cases where it's just smoother to watch this guy put the pieces together and it's kind of seamless, right? Um, and now when I watch it, like at first that stuff didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. And I was like, wait, so which day am I at right now? Or how long has it been in this person's time at Dunkirk? Um, now it's just like, I, I, I just get it. Um, I think this movie is really rewarding upon rewatch. Um, and in my opinion, it's one of the best war movies ever made. Um, I know John's going to tell me to watch the thin red line, which I haven't seen. I'm sure it's great. Maybe we'll have to do a Malik pod later in the year. Um, but Dunkirk to me is definitely the best war movie in recent memory, probably apocalypse now pads of glory by Kubrick, um, are the other two I would put up there. Um, and maybe Ivan's childhood by Andre Tarkovsky, but I just think this movie's great and short. Um, not that it matters how short or long the movie is. Um, but this is really an arresting like a hundred minutes. So I don't know how much more of it I could have taken anyway. Um, I was kind of exhausted when I left the theater. You kind of just feel like you got hit by a bus after watching this movie. Um, and I think it has a wonderful ending. Um, and the, kind of the way that Nolan is able to portray the complex emotions of this escape. Um, it was a loss that ended up feeling like we salvaged a victory out of it, right? Um, but in reality, we still lost. And there's a lot more fighting to be done, right? So. I think it's a beautiful film um, and I'll never forget seeing it for the first time. And, and I just think it's an example of Nolan operating outside of typical blockbuster fare IP. He's not in Gotham city. He's not making a superhero picture. He's not making inception two. He wants to go elsewhere and he's a Brit. And I think this movie means a lot to British people. So um, I think it's a wonderful movie interested to hear what you guys think about it that was yeah i mean you pretty much said it all um from the sense of praising the movie i also haven't really no like downs i don't see a downside to this movie i'm, I'm glad it was made and it's, it's an important moment in history that hasn't really been explored that much before um nolan really likes to just get out there and do everything i think it's cool he's finally he did a war movie right like he's really ambitious. And I think that that speaks to his ambition. He wants to show that he can really make any kind of movie. And he has made so many different types of movie with the same style. Um, and that style kind of transcends all these different genres, which is awesome. Um, yeah. Shooting it in a linear kind of chronological fashion would have definitely taken away because you need to see how each character develops and then see how they were important to the actual day of Dunkirk itself. Um, and I'm glad he did that. Once again, the score, the special effects, it's all, it all works. Um, it's clear that at that, this point in his career, he's found all the right people to do all the right parts of his movies. Um, and that team never disappoints. So just crediting not only Nolan, but the team of people he's found. Um, and it really took a team to make this movie. It's it's clearly an ambitious project. The cinematography is beautiful. The shots are beautiful. Um, he gets a, a slew of talented actors 
I know Harry Styles even made an appearance in this. Um, and and you're right about the British roots thing. This is this is Nolan's. This is another passion project for Nolan. At this point, he can do whatever he wants, and no one's gonna bat an eye. He can say he wants to make this movie, and and he has complete leave to do that. Um, and this one is definitely a tribute to where he's from, and he he likes to use British parts of his movie, and 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 in this one, he just went out and made a full British, you know, home like homage to a, a big moment in their their victory in World War II because. They were beat up before the Americans and everything showed up. And, and it's important to showcase that. Um, they had to lose a lot to create the the modern day Britain. Um, and no one's the, the best type of guy to take that type of film on. Um, I'd love to see if he can do another war movie. Because you did say with The Thin Red Line, I'm a big fan of philosophical pieces. And Dunkirk is a philosophical piece. It might not come off that way, but it definitely is. Um, and as far as Malik goes, we'll have we'll have some pods on it. We're, we'll definitely have a couple. He's easily my favorite director. Um, yeah, this is a little Malik-esque. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to echo everything you guys said. I, I like how he uses perspective in this. Uh, he doesn't, you know, upon watching it, I thought they were just going to focus on Finn Whitehead's character the whole time and just follow him throughout Dunkirk and it was just going to be like 1917-esque in that sense uh but I like how he he even goes to he takes this naive soldier he takes this soldier who has already been through Dunkirk and then he puts it in the air as well which I think is super cool and I love the relationship between Killian Murphy and Mark Rylance and that whole crew and how much unrest there is even though they're all British and they're all working towards the same goal you have to realize that you know, all these people were stranded and these people in a sense are heroes. And I like how Nolan revealed that even civilians in this sense uh, did great things at Dunkirk, which I liked. And uh, I love the plane shots as well of Tom Hardy. He, for some reason, Nolan loves cover covering up Tom Hardy's face and other directors as well. We've seen it with Mad Max as well. And, you know, even through that, Tom Hardy puts a good performance through it. You know, a shot that'll live with me in this is, when his plane is all beat up and he has his hands up and the German soldiers surround him. Uh, that's one of my favorite shots from the film. And yeah, I, I, I think this is uh, from a practical effects and visual effects standpoint, it's a masterpiece. Uh, he really uh, did everything he could instead of implementing CG, uh, which I think is really important adds a grittiness to the film, uh, which Nolan loves to do. Yeah. And you mentioned the shot of the plane there's a couple of other just unbelievable shots where you're like, how did they even do this? The one of the Fionn Whitehead laying down on the beach and the bomb goes off, bomb goes off, bomb goes off down the line. Um, that is like, man, how did you even come up with like a way to do that? Right. Um, and I'm sure there's some effects used, but it doesn't really look like it. Um, there's some shot of shots of the dog fights where, planes are just diving and it just it just feels like you're in the plane right like it feels like you're part of the dogfight. um but i mean is there any shot um in recent memory that puts a smile on your face more than like kenneth brana going uh home he says like like they're coming and someone says who and he goes home and then you see all the civilian boats coming and the 
Hans Zimmer scores swells. You're just like, man, like this is just a symphony. It, it, it's just, everything is clicking. This guy is just at the peak of his powers. Um, and I know I've said that um, a couple times during this pod, but there's um, every so often in his movies, there's just like one or two moments where you're just like, man, everything this guy has put us through up to this point, um, put us through is not the right phrasing, but everything he's done so far, it's been leading up to this and, and it really pays off. He's great at making you feel like something big is coming and you don't know when. And then when it actually comes, it's immensely satisfying. Um, he's probably one of the best directors at anticipation. Um, so yeah, great movie. Awesome movie. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is like a symphony of a director in a sense. Um, but I, that leads us to our next movie, which I will introduce right now. Um, and that is 2020's Tenet. Um, the plot reads, armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Written and directed by Nolan, stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, another British, and Elizabeth Debicki. You guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've covered Tenet on the pod before, so I kind of want to keep this brief. Uh, but cr- this is like this is Nolan taking all of his stuff in the past with time and everything, and just turning the amp up to like fifty and just going balls to the walls. Uh, especially with the score done by Ludwig Göransson, which I thought got snubbed at the Oscars, and just crazy scenes. Uh, the one scene that stands out is the the. Uh, the robbery on the highway. I think they took like three weeks to film that one scene or something create, maybe even like three months. Uh, but just the scope of this film is huge. Uh, you mentioned the uh, plane scene where they crash into the Freeport. Super well done. Uh, I, I will say though, upon viewing it again, I'm not the biggest John David Washington fan. Uh, I, I don't think his acting in this, I mean, obviously his character isn't supposed to be developed or anything. He's, supposed to be like the stone cold killer and i think he does that well but uh i I think he could have brought a little more to the role uh obviously there is a swagger about the film as well uh most evidently shown through robert pattinson and his fits uh i know john and i are on robert pattinson bender it's great to see him working in this big budget stuff and yeah i i i I enjoy tenet a lot i think it's going to rank a little higher on my list than you guys Obviously not the top tier Nolan film, but you know, for for a year that was low with uh, cinema and kind of put us in a in a bad mood just because we couldn't make it to the theaters. Going out to the theater in the middle of a pandemic to see this was super satisfying and uh, made twenty twenty as a year kind of memorable for me in film. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I, we're talking about this movie and. Um... I, I don't really want to talk about the flaws of Tenet right now. I feel like I've talked enough about Nolan's flaws, but this movie just puts a smile on my face. We're looking at each other talking about it right now. And I'm just thinking about it. It's just making me happy. It's just a blast. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Robert Pattinson. I low key think he should have been nominated for like best supporting actor. He like is really funny and is clearly having a lot of fun. And at the same time, like, definitely didn't know like what the movie was about the entire time. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's so funny. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I've watched this movie four times in 2021. I've just, I looked at my stats on Letterboxd the other day and I'm like, man, I really probably don't need to rewatch Tenet right now. There's probably some other stuff I could dabble in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I said it before on another, the other pod w- where we talked about this, but you just feel like the director's getting out the toy box and just seeing what he can create. He, I mean, he's just playing around and it's awesome. Um, so I, I really do love Tenet. I, it's not one of like his best movies. My list is going to be, what do I think his best movies are in terms of movies where I had a lot of fun watching it might be like up there for most fun movies ever. Like even the bad stuff is really fun. Like the, I'm sorry, but the line where um, someone says to Elizabeth Debicki, like if this happens, then like it'll mean the end of humanity. And she goes, including my son. I laugh every time. Cause it's like, of course your son, your, your son is part of humanity. And I'm just picturing Christopher Nolan being like, okay, we need a little bit of, a little bit of agency for this character here. So let's sprinkle in this line. Um, but that's like, it, it, it doesn't play as bad to me as like it does in some of his other films because he's just having fun. Like you can tell. And I said, Memento was probably his funniest movie. I think this movie is pretty funny. Um, he actually tries to crack some jokes. Michael Caine is like on his lunch hour and he's just like, insulting john david washington like why is that in the movie um it's so funny to me um so this is just like the christopher nolan movie i have a great time with and um i think we're doing this pod at the right time because it just got on hbo max so i'm gonna try to hold off watching it again um but yeah definitely very memorable and uh you know i ordered my hot sauce an hour ago so i'll let john go yeah, I mean, I saw this movie three times in theaters because I, I mean, I had so much fun. It's it's an, it's a really fun movie, um, and it's another Nolan. I mean, it plays with cool concepts. What, what else can you get? And it was so awesome to have this in the middle of the pandemic when a lot of stuff was going wrong. Um, I'm so glad that Nolan. He's he's a man of like principle and and he has a way that he wants people to see his movies and there's nothing wrong with that. He's been like so against HBO's policy now to joint release stuff on HBO Max and in theaters. Um and I'm glad he stuck to his guns and was like, yeah, this might this movie might not make as much money as normal Nolan films, but I want people to see it in theaters and the people that really want to see it will go see it. I went and saw it, you know, of course. Um and it's a movie made for theaters and um, everything came together once again, very well. It's cool to see Ludwig Göransson on the score. I was actually just reading that this is the first film since the prestige for Nolan that Hans Zimmer hasn't done the score. And he actually reached out to Hans Zimmer to get him and Hans Zimmer couldn't do it because he was working on some other project. Um and that actually almost stopped Nolan from releasing the movie in 2020, but he decided to do it anyway. And, and it paid off with Ludwig. I thought the score was really well done. Love Robert Pattinson. Of course he got Robert Pattinson and John David Washington as young actors um, and kind of helped them kickstart their careers a little bit using Kenneth Branagh as like the seasoned veteran to kind of offset that. Um, I thought the chemistry was perfect there. 
I also agree with your sentiment that Pattinson deserves nominations at some point. And they're going to come soon. Maybe for Batman. We'll see. Um, just a really fun, really good time. In a lot of ways, it was it's perfect. Um, even the title, you know, Tenet. He, he, he just likes to play around and sometimes the audience gets it, sometimes they don't. But if you watch it enough and truly try to get it, it will make the experience that much more enjoyable. Yeah, and I know we want to keep this brief because we've talked about it so much already, but I, I, I think a point that I haven't made yet is it's definitely Nolan's most self-aware movie, right? Like, I think he, at this point, kind of knows that people kind of get what he's going for, right? Like, they, they get that it, stuff's going to be overly confusing. And there's a point where Pattinson's like, is it confusing? And John David Washington's like, yeah. And he's like, all right, well, just go to bed. <laughs> like that he's not going to explain it to you right so um and i think when, when we talk about this movie being fun it's fun in a way where to me movies that i of his that i didn't enjoy as much movies of his that based on his film language tell me to take them seriously dark knight rises interstellar um movies like that when there's a flaw in the story or in the filmmaking, I don't care. And maybe that's just me. Um, but I, I just have a blast and I don't really care if I comprehend anything in this movie. Um, I, I reject the notion that this movie is incomprehensible, but I think people just need to not take this movie that seriously. Um, it's a great time. So, yeah. All right, so that wraps up our analysis on all of Christopher Nolan's 11 features. Uh, and it's come to the point in the pod where we are going to rank them. I know this is going to be really hard for all of us, and hopefully we have our lists ready and ready to jump right in. Uh, let's start with our guest. No, no, we'll have our guest go last. How about that? Uh, John, let's hear... No? All right. All right, then I will go first in ranking these uh, so you guys can critique me heavily. Well, uh, Pete, we can, so, we can do the traditional sense when like you say your last, I say my last. Okay. Yeah. 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 Let's do Just that. It's good to have uh, you start so, for once, you know? Yeah. 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 So we'll go me, John, then Sam 11 to one. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. So at number 11, I have insomnia. Interesting. Interesting. At 11, I have following. I've got insomnia at 11. At number 10, I have following. I have insomnia at 10. At 10, I have following. Yeah, I think there's a clear last two here. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, at number 9, I have The Dark Knight Rises. At number 9, I also have The Dark Knight Rises. I can vibe with that. I have The Dark Knight Rises at 9. At number eight, this one's going to piss John off. Uh, I have Interstellar. Damn, okay. Yeah, that's tough. I think <laughs> eight to one, I would consider all fantastic films. Um, I'm just going to yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. But at number eight, I have Tenet. At number eight, I have Interstellar. Sorry, John. At number seven, I have Tenet. Okay, yeah. Uh, at number seven, I have 
Batman Begins. At number seven, I have Tenet. At number six, I have Batman Begins. At number six, I have The Prestige. Number six, I have Batman Begins. At number five, I have Dunkirk. At number five, I also have Dunkirk. At number five, I have Memento. At number four, I have The Prestige. At number four, I have Memento. At number four, I have The Dark Knight. At number three, I have Inception. At number three, I have Interstellar. At number three, I have Inception. At number two, I have The Dark Knight. At number two, I have Inception. At number two, I have The Prestige. And at number one, I have his 2000 film, Memento. Damn, Pete. You know, right after a watch of Memento, I might put it number one. It's so, they're just all so good up there at the top. Yeah. Um, it's hard to rank them. Super hard. Memento's great. Ranking films is just, it can be annoying sometimes. Number one, I have The Dark Knight. My number one is Dunkirk. Oof. Okay, so we have <laughs> we have some we have some varied takes there. Uh, aside from the bottom tier, I'd say. Uh, I just want to thank you again, Sam. Thanks for coming on, man. It's always great to have you on. I love covering these directors, all their filmography with you. You have so much to say, and uh, let's just the closing remarks. Closing remarks. Well, thanks for having me, guys. You know. Anytime you want to talk about stuff, I'm here. Um, love talking about interesting directors, interesting movies. I think Christopher Nolan is a very fun director. I think I think um, I think we really got to something today. I think this conversation could have been two hours longer. I think our conversation about Interstellar could have been two hours. Um, but you know, that's what's great about Nolan is. You always, as soon as you finish a movie, for the most part, you want to go back and just start it again um, and unpack it a little more. And there's not many blockbuster entertainers where after I finish a movie, I feel that way, right? Um, You know, I don't feel that way after I finish a Marvel movie. I don't feel that way after I finish uh, Mortal Kombat, Um, you know. But those movies make make a lot of money. And it's amazing that Nolan can make a great movie and make a ton of money off of original ideas and like great direction, right? Because people, people don't realize it, but it's what Nolan's doing that makes these movies so good. It's not, oh, we just love Batman, right? Like these movies are successful because Nolan is a really high level craftsman and, um, I wish, uh, you know, I think he's kind of polarizing these days in terms of people being like, oh, Tenet was a failure and kind of screwed theaters a little bit. Um, I'm less interested in that conversation today, even though I think it's important. Um, But as I said at the beginning of the pod, just an incredibly important figure in terms of movies for I'm sure all three of us kind of got us at the right time occupying that Spielberg 
Kubrick, Hitchcock kind of space. Um, so, yeah, I had a great time talking about it. I know this went long, as it always does. Um, but there's 11 films to talk about here, and most of them are pretty good. So, yeah. Thanks again, guys. Yeah, of course. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on, Sam. If you want to come back on anytime, you know you're welcome. Um, maybe we can start covering some more great directors from, from history or whatever else you want to cover. Uh, yeah, Nolan, fantastic. We'll, we'll see what he has in store. I'm sure we'll get something else in two or three years. Um, and, and it'll be great because they're all fun and they're all interesting. And he doesn't pull, he doesn't hold himself back in any sense of the word. And, and that's what differs him from other directors. I think we've kind of talked about that today. So thanks again. Uh, good pod today, boys. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to wrap up episode 17 of Splash of Cinema. Signing off. I'm Pete. I'm John. I'm Sam. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.